Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. And well, I don't think anyone is complaining this is the U.S. Open anymore, Rex. Even though Ricky Fowler tied the U.S. Open scoring record at the halfway point with a two-round total of 130, taking a one-shot lead over Wyndham Clark and two ahead of Roy McIlroy and Xander Schauffele. LACC is getting tougher by the minute with the final group on Saturday not teeing off until this is not a misprint. 6.40 p.m. Eastern time, 3.40 p.m. local. That is a lot of time for the wind to blow, the sun to shine, and this golf course to crisp up. Buckle up. I think this is going to be a very interesting, fascinating uh, thrill ride over the remaining 36 holes. Rex, first, you look very cute in your suit. Some news on the anti uh, trust lawsuit front. What's up? No, you were, you were struggling with antitrust, but you got through it. Keep fighting on. It's just lawsuit. Uh, it's just lawsuit now. Uh, and I, it's actually not, it's nothing now. I think, um, the important part of it is, and we knew this from last Tuesday's agreement between the PGA tour and the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, one of, at least in the short term, I would argue, one of the most important points of this agreement was that all of the litigation between the sides was going to stop. That became official this afternoon. All the parties involved filed a motion to dismiss in U.S. District Court in the Northern District of California. Now, this is important because they filed it with prejudice. And as I've pointed out in the past numerous times, this is a framework agreement, which means it can fall apart at any moment. But what the parties can't do from this point going forward is go back and try to relitigate all of those issues. Uh, essentially, that's over with. And that includes the original antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour. That includes the Tour's counterclaim against PIF and Live Golf. That includes all of the discovery disputes and half a dozen U.S. district courts uh, around the country. That includes the appeal in the Ninth Circuit of Appeals. It's all over with. And I, I think that's significant. And you and I were talking about this earlier because this was the first and probably the greatest milestone that all the parties had to get over. From the tour's perspective, it was going to be, it had already been wildly expensive, $50 million in legal fees the tour had already paid. From PIF and Live Golf, the public investment fund had already put them, had already been put in a terrible position because the U.S. courts were claiming jurisdiction over them and they were going to fight that tooth and nail. So I think both sides, at least in this element of the, the agreement, got what they wanted. And that will wrap up the lawsuit portion. Is that my 90 of seconds of lawsuit nonsense? Thank you. I appreciate Killed you it. letting me get through that smoothly. Yeah. Back to, back to T. Lou, who will then uh, send it to commercial break. Ricky Fowler does have the lead here at LACC. 18 birdies. Like he's played 36 holes, and he has made 18 birdies. I'm not sure if you've made 18 birdies in the last three, four, five years. I mean, have you ever made 18 birdies total? Now, someone might have made a snarky comment. Oh, Christy Sotero with XM Radio uh, made a very snarky comment right along the same lines. And I'll have you know that in the last month, I've made four that I can think of off the top of my head. And I mean, you, must so, be, you must be really cooking to be able to get four in a month. I'm still, uh, I'm still claiming you haven't, you haven't made, you've, you haven't made. I made two at Scioto during the memorial, and then I made uh, one playing here uh, last month, whenever that was, six weeks ago, or however long it was ago and then i made one playing with my son just last week so you know what dial that down yes i've made 18 birdies in my life probably just it is a u.s open record though for ricky fowler doing everything great i mean second in the field in strokes gained to the green he's second in the field in putting 
two-part question. How will he handle this weekend, and what has impressed you so far that gives you the most confidence? I mean, all of the things that you pointed out, the five tools, right? I mean, he's doing everything either well or really well, and that includes his putting, which I, I find fascinating. Um, the, the part that he has to do probably best is remember that he's Ricky Fowler because, like, talking with Butch Harmon last night, the, the confidence was the thing that all everybody was really worried about. Like, Butch felt like, Ricky felt like they could fix the swing. They could get it back to where it was before in 2014 and 2015 when he was playing his best golf. But he had hit rock bottom for so long. His confidence had bottomed out as well. And as he stands right now through 36 holes, and you and I both sat in this press conference and, and listened to him, it seems like he's brimming with confidence. But on a golf course like this, which we talked about is only going to get harder, that can change really, really quick. So as long as he can maintain this, sort of this level of swagger, I'll call it, I think he'll be fine. It is such an incredible story. It's been an incredible reclamation project. I think a guy who a lot of fans would have left for dead uh, just didn't have the desire to get back and to see him reconnect with Butch Harmon late last year, uh, morph from what was a below average ball striker to now one of the best and now take uh, his second 36-hole lead in a major, I think is nothing short of remarkable. It's a testament uh, to Ricky Fowler's determination uh, to actually get back to this point. It, it is interesting because when you look at his history, he has, he has plenty of experience in this position in a major championship. He has eight top fives in the majors. He has the most top ten, tied for the most top tens of any player since 2010 uh, in a major championship without a victory. And yet it's been so long, he almost has to it's almost like he's starting from scratch, right? Like he hasn't won anywhere in four years. He has a rebuilt swing that is still not uh, quite where he wants it. Obviously, it's it's way better than it was, but it's still uh, far from a finished product. And he has his own demons when it comes to closing out tournaments. He's just two for 10 with a 54-hole lead. I know this is just the halfway point, but you're projecting ahead to the final round. Like he has not historically been a good closer. Now you get on a golf course at where you're going to have to be increasingly precise. Um, I'm still a little bit skeptical at the halfway point of this U S open, but that doesn't take the, uh, away the fact that this has been uh, an incredible achievement for Ricky Fowler and a great comeback story to be sure. Well, and I'm, I'm going to turn your question on you. What, what does he have to avoid doing? You talked about what does he have to do over the next 36 holes? What does he need to avoid? He needs to avoid the mistakes. And by the mistakes he has in his career, he's been prone to the big number, just like a head scratching mistake that uh, compounds itself. And he walks off with a double or triple and that's how he would lose the tournament. We've seen big numbers on this. It's it's quite easy if you get yourself out of position to compound that DJ mistake. You can make an you eight can make on two. Real quick. Yeah. DJ m- makes a quad on two and actually did well to battle back. Uh, if he continues to drive the ball in play as he has been doing, for the first 36 holes. It's such an interesting U.S. Open test, Rex. Like, I'm not sure, certainly in, in this tournament, that I can ever recall fairways that are so wide. And so it, it, it so sounds narrow. simple, right? It's, but they're exactly like they're, they're so yeah. wide and yet they're so narrow. They're 43 yards wide on average, but they're, 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 they're obviously playing much smaller than that. And when you get the firmness of the conditions that we're expecting, like when you and I played here, it was not uncommon if you didn't have the right spin on your tee shots to hit one of the slopes in the fairway and then kick in the Bermuda rough. And if you have that happen uh, over the next couple rounds where you have three, four, five inch thick 
a Bermuda rough, it's it's almost an automatic bogey, or you're going to have to make a 15-footer uh, for par. It just becomes increasingly difficult. But if he can put himself uh, in the fairway, that, that's certainly going to lend itself to some more opportunities, which I think segues nicely to Roy McIlroy. He's missed just five fairways uh, in the first two rounds. I thought it was actually quite revealing in his press conference, Rush, where he said that he caught himself a couple of weeks ago watching highlights from his last major championship uh, at Hoylake. And he noticed not any kind of physical attribute, but it was more his course management where he said, wow, I was hitting more irons and three woods off the tee than I thought. He, I, I think, has a tendency to just wield driver because it's, it's such a weapon for him. It's such a huge advantage. But at this test, at major championship tests in general, where precision is really rewarded, I think he's starting to find out he doesn't need to bash it everywhere. Put yourself in position and rely on his other strengths. And I'm staring at the leaderboard right now. And if you, you pressed me, which you probably will before we're done with this podcast, between Rory and Scotty Scheffler, who is right there alongside him pretty much, it, I'd have a hard time picking one over the other. And I guess I would lean towards Scotty, which is fascinating because both of these players. Three shots behind Rory. I was actually going to ask you, who do you have more confidence in, Rory or Xander? with whom he's going to be playing in the site in the third round. No, I, and I get what you're saying. And, and I'm not even trying to to, 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 to tell you that, well, no, he's not three shots behind him. I think you did that wrong. Nope. Uh, Roy's at eight under and Scotty's at five under. No, I think Scotty's I'm, at nine under. He most certainly is not. Scotty no, Scheffler. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> sorry. Scotty Scheffler is not one is not one shot off the lead. Roy McIlroy is playing with Xander Schauffele. No, Roy's at eight under they're both at 132. Look at the total score on the right-hand side. This is painful. That is shuffling. No. I know you don't, you don't have your glasses on. That is Rory and Xander who are playing together. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I met Xander. I'm sorry. I, I, that's who I was talking about. If you ask me – Rory and Xander, who do, you have, two. who do you have the most confidence in over the weekend? And it, it, I think I, I would have never picked Xander coming into the week, and I think you and I probably talked about Rory quite a bit earlier in the, in the week on the podcast just about his ball striking. I mean, he had talked about it – a lot recently about look he just didn't have confidence in it he didn't feel like it was going to turn around overnight and he he didn't seem like a guy who had very high expectations on the flip side Xander had been playing pretty well but again you keep waiting for him to make that breakthrough in in a major championship I'm having a really really hard time trying to pick either one of those guys because I'd I'd like to pick Rory I mean that would to me as far as rooting for the story that would be the best story I'd want to write on a Sunday night to finally get over that major hurdle that had been holding him back to sort of shed all of those things that have been weighing on him the last few weeks, as far as being the PGA tour spokesman and also sort of send a message that he is still one of the top players because the way he's been playing, it's sort of hard to see the old guy. And, and I kind of appreciate the fact that he went back and revisited that performance at Hoylake because it, it was one of his sort of signature dominant Rory performances and it probably was the best thing he could do to being kind of reminding himself oh yeah I'm Rory McIlroy but I still don't know who I would pick between those two because they both have flaws that I have a hard time looking past yeah that's why I think this is this is so much fun projecting for the rest of the weekend because you look at the the very tippy top of the leaderboard and and all the players have have flaws there's I, I don't feel exceedingly confident in in any of them well you know, even Ricky Ricky's still even like Ricky's yeah. obviously still trying to find his way back. Wyndham Clark just won his first PJ Tour event uh, last month at Wells Fargo, which was kind of a de facto major, a, a stout test, the best PJ Tour field. Uh, he comes in here with a lot of confidence, obviously. Roy McRae has not won a major 
in nine years. Xander Shoffley has never done it. Has actually accumulated quite a bit of scar tissue in the major championships. Harris, Harris English uh, coming back from a, a hip injury a couple years ago. Dustin Johnson, uh, I think, is the most battle-tested, having won two major championships, uh, including most recently in 2020. But has he really done much of anything in 2023 to inspire much confidence? I, I think when you look at the won question... In Tulsa. He won in Tulsa. Uh, nope, he sure didn't. Um, when you look at the... Yes, he did. Did he? Yes, he did. He won huh. in Tulsa, yes. Mm. Now, who could... Who could who could forget? Uh, as Lib is soon to be uh, apparently you disbanded. Uh, Roy McRoy. When you look at Rory and Xander, who are going to be playing together uh, on Saturday? That's obviously the group that I'm going to be watching. I thought it was huge Rex for Xander to finish birdie birdie on 17 and 18, two of the hardest holes yeah. at LACC, coming off a skid where he had three bogeys in a row. Uh, and I asked him, you know, what was kind of the the, the mindset or the self talk walking off to 15th green when you get to 16? And he said, look. I'm playing way too well to throw away this tournament right now. That's all he needed to say. Uh, that's all he needed to do. Uh, finishing with those two birdies, getting in the house at eight under, getting in that penultimate group, and now having 20 hours before he tees off again uh, on Saturday was absolutely huge. I think if you're asking who I think is going to win the golf tournament right now at 11.57 p.m. Eastern time on Friday night, uh, I, I think Sander. He's one of the most complete players on the PGA Tour. Uh, he has put himself in position at this tournament for six consecutive years, uh, and he's playing great right now. There's no facet of his game that is letting him down. Right now, at this point, through 36 holes, I have the most confidence in Xander. No, I'll make a pick tomorrow night, and I want to switch gears because I am curious. Last night, our conversation centered on the idea that this golf course had gotten pushed over, that it had gotten kicked around, that it was rolling in the dirt, and they were stomping on it as they went by. And I I love the idea. That is why, Rex, that is why you don't make grand proclamations after the first quarter. Uh, no, no, I would agree. And, and look, again, this goes back to John Bodenhammer was on live from last night and even more so now than I listened to him last night, his words really ring, ring true to what the USGA has become. And it's become an organization that's less reactionary. And it's an organization that they've said all along that they didn't want to protect par, but I think all along, most people thought they were lying. I feel like (laughs) under this regime, it's probably true that, okay, if, if 10, 12, 13 under par, that's going to be fine. They didn't go outside the box. And it, it was funny walking over here. I saw Gil Hans, who was involved in the redesign of this golf course. And I kind of jokingly, you know, made the joke that, hey, your, your golf course fought back today. And he kind of laughed and he pointed out that he's been involved with the course setup. He's friends with Jeff Hall with the USGA and he's, he's out with him early every morning helping him. And he just pointed out that they didn't change anything. They had a game plan coming into this, and regardless of what happened yesterday, 262s, historically low scoring, they stayed with that game plan. And I think you saw the better part of the North course today, and I think it only gets better as the weekend goes on. More sunshine, more wind. Yeah, there's, there was no panic. There was no panic. Mm-hmm. If you listen to John Bodenhammer on live from on Thursday night. He said, yes, it played a little bit easier than we were anticipating on Thursday. We do have ways to toughen it up, but we're not going to go stupid hard and trick up this golf course. We're going to let the design shine and showcase exactly what it can do. And look, there were still good scores, right? There were still good scores on Friday at LACC. Min Woo Lee came in with a 65. Roy McRae came home in 30 uh, in order to put up uh, his round of 67. But it was also punishing poorly struck shots. I mean, Ricky Fowler threw 36 holes has still made eight bogeys. You know, ties for the most bogeys since Graham McDowell 
back in 2010. Like, bad shots are still being punished. JT, who I talked to after his round, after shooting 81, like, he's one of the best players in the world, and he shot 81. If you're not on your game, you are going to be get punished. And I thought there was a huge difference in the scoring average. I was out there with Rory's group. He finished at, like, 2 o'clock local time. At 1 o'clock is when the sun came out. And there was a stark difference in scoring at oh, yeah. 1 o'clock and where you finished six or seven tonight. I mean, we're talking two, three shots harder with an entire day of that before the final groups get on. Like, at least he's going to give these guys all they can handle over the weekend. I have no doubt this is this has been a great U.S. Open test so far, and I think it'll be exceedingly so by Sunday evening. And you look at – it was almost a stroke harder today. I think it came in at 72.22. I think it was 71.38 yesterday. So you get an idea of why they didn't decide to panic. I think they had a, a pretty good idea. They tipped, they tipped out a couple boxes. Like the par threes were super and long. They started moving some pins on top of knobs. They're probably not – in, in a crazy fashion, but they had a plan and they stuck to it. I think that's very, very good. I do want to rewind real quick. And what motivated you? And I'm, I'm happy you did. It was very good journalism. But what motivated you to be like, hmm, JT just shot a million. I'm going to go get me some of that. Uh, Rex, uh, I know you're still new at this journalism game, but sometimes the best stories aren't the top of the leaderboard. I'm, They're at I'm the bottom. And having one of the best players in the world just, let's see, should write that down. That's the title of your book. championship. Uh, I, I mean, it was shocking to see J- Justin Thomas in a field of 156. We talked about it yesterday. This is a very top-heavy uh, major championship field just because of the qualification criteria to see him finish T-152 out of 156 players uh, was certainly shocking. Talking to him afterward, uh, he was, I think, shocked more than anything. He said he came in here after a great week of practice at home in South Florida, fully confident. He thought LACC was a perfect fit for his game. He thought, quote, 100% that I could win this golf tournament uh, to shoot the rounds that he did. He called it uh, embarrassing and humiliating uh, and the lowest that he has ever felt. Uh, he has a lot of work to do, certainly, uh, before we get to Hoylake uh, next month. Uh, he, has, he has regressed in multiple areas of his game. His putting is a little bit of a mess right now, but his ball striking is too. I have little confidence that Justin Thomas, one of the best players of the past decade, will figure it out. Uh, but right now, uh, it is certainly... A low point. How about Brooks Kepka? Rex, he's got 10 shots to make up, said that he is not a, quote, huge fan of LACC. John Rom took out not one, but two signs on his way to the scoring 10. I just wish that was on video, uh, sadly. We uh, saw it. Was it. No, not. we saw it. We can attest. Scotty Scheffler uh, did well uh, to get back in the mix at five under par. Where's your head at in terms of those big three who are obviously the big storylines coming in here? Uh, Brooks shocked me a little bit because I, I think he's. Re- I think he even talked about it this week, and I know he's visited a few times in the past about the idea. It's sort of the Jack Nicholas thing. The Jack felt like when he showed up at majors that half the field, maybe three-quarters of the field, were already defeated because they either didn't like the golf course or they didn't like the conditions or whatever the case may be. And it felt like, like Brooks always tried to keep himself above all that, that whatever the golf course gives to me, I'm just going to go out and play it, and that makes me better than you. That makes me better than the next guy. I'm eliminating three-quarters of my competition just by having a good attitude. And to go out and say that, and this goes to what we talked about yesterday, that if it was going to be a golf course that was going to give up 62s, it probably wasn't going to be Brooks's cup of tea anyway. Like, that's not the kind of course he wants. We, you know, it's the chaos, and that, that really doesn't bring the chaos – but I think even we saw it. I think most of the fans saw it. The USGA clearly saw it coming. Brooks should have been able to be like, mm, okay, this is not my course today. But by the time we get to Sunday, 
it's probably going to be exactly what, what I want. And it seems like he talked himself out of realistically contending in this tournament. Yeah, and and he, he kind of made the point like, well, you know, you know, 62, it's got blind tee shots. This doesn't feel like a U.S. Open test. Like Aaron Hills, he tied the U.S. Open scoring record. So he had no problem uh, in a shootout there. A year later, uh, he went at Shinnecock where one over was the was the winning score. Like he could do it on all sorts of tests. Uh, I think he's clearly that just has not been quite on his game. I was I was really surprised by Rom. He, he at at a at a point on Friday, he actually looked to be on the fringes of contention. Like at a couple of birdies coming home, maybe it's on fourteen, maybe it's on fifteen. The really short par three. Like this is a guy who could, if he gets to the clubhouse at four or five under par, like Scottish Scheffler did, that was certainly factor significantly and for him to come home in 39 back-to-back bogeys on 17 and 18 and then ram his way through uh two sides on his way to the scoring tent uh certainly surprised me as it, as it as it relates to scotty scheffler he's not driven the ball particularly well he's not been quite the same dynamic ball striker that we've seen kind of a historic ball striker that we've seen over the past couple of months and yet he is still right there putter a little bit cooler on friday Five shots back. I think Scotty Scheffler has to feel very good about his position. All right, we're 21 minutes deep, Rex, into this podcast. Real quick, what are you most looking forward to seeing on Saturday? Uh, well, first and foremost, the golf course. We addressed it. I mean, the idea that it's going to turn in 78 yard par three, most likely on 15, which is fun. And I think uh, Harris English talked about that today. Like he was kind of asking the unique nature of this golf course. And he goes, I hit a 53 degree wedge on one par three and I had a three wood on the other. He goes, we don't do that on the PGA tour. And it's something that I think he enjoys. So I want to see it get firmer and faster and more of what we expected at the beginning of the week. And I want to see how these players that we just touched on that are all world-class players, their names, they're, they're the type of players you want to tune in and watch, but they all have some sort of flaw that you would be like, yeah, he, he can win, but, and certainly Ricky Fowler, we addressed that. Rory McIlroy is in the mix. I would say Xander has stuff. Dustin Johnson. Like, everybody on the leaderboard is going to be fun to watch, and you can root for them. But all of them have the asterisk that you could be like, ah, maybe not. God, this is just such a great golf course. Like, I absolutely loved it. I loved it when I played it. I love it now. We're seeing the world's best players do Gushy. battle on it. There's, there's so much diversity. You mentioned the disparity and the par three length, uh, the, the uniqueness of the green complexes, how wide the fairways are, and yet it's so punishing if you miss them. Like, I absolutely love the golf course, and I think Saturday's when is it is really going to shine. It, the big one for me is 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 Rory. He's he's slid the last two Sundays, both at the Memorial and Canada. If he gets himself uh, in the mix once again here through fifty four holes, uh, he's going to have a lot of demons knocking around. You think back to the fifty four hole shared lead, right, with Victor Hovland at St Andrews was unable to close that one. There's so much for Rory uh, to still attain over these remaining 36 holes. And so I think that Saturday is a huge day when it's going to get firm, it's going to get crispy, it's going to get fiery, uh, that he uh, absolutely maintains this position. All right, let's get to it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Make sure you guys check us out Saturday morning. Yes, Saturday morning we'll be doing live from our little Bright song and, and dance. Early. Six hours for the final group tease off. Make sure you go to golfchannel.com for all of our news, notes, features, columns, analysis, commentary, and the like. All right, we'll be back on Saturday evening after the third round of the U.S. Open. Talk to you guys then. Thanks for nothing, Xander. Xander.